Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. Thank you, Sky, for leading us and for teaching us how to lay down our lives. I know how she got that song. It was late at night. <laughs> and she had a guitar there. She said, Lord, I need something from you. And you might be here this morning and you'll say, I need something from you. And so we believe that God's word does God's work. And so we are going to open up to Isaiah 29. And we're going to look at a passage of scripture that may be familiar to you, may be new to you. And, uh, and as we open up the scripture, I remind, I'm going through a series here in Isaiah, what it means to be a privileged people. And so God called out in the first chapter of Isaiah that he had created a, a privileged people. And it's called Israel. And in this creation, he said, I made you great among the nations. And yet, Israel went wayward, went south, went drifting away from the faith. And the same reminder that we have from our Easter messages, that through the cross, God made a privileged people. We are privileged to have our sins forgiven. We are privileged to be named His own. We are privileged to have been gifted with the Holy Spirit. So everybody who receives Christ, everybody who turns from their sins, everybody who embraces the gospel, the good news, they are given the gift of the Holy Spirit and they are privileged. And right now we are in a nation that says, well, privilege is being discrimination or privilege is giving somebody an advantage over somebody else. And that's the very thing that God has done for us. He has given us an advantage if we will but listen. And then last week we talked about, in the 26th of Isaiah, he said, the, the nation was saying, we have a great city. And then the prophet says, but we have a city whose maker is God. And, uh, and so that was the privilege. They were holding on to their earthly advantage. But God says, there's a heavenly advantage. And I have made, a, I have a city whose maker is God. And so this morning we are going to come to the 29th chapter. And in this chapter, we are going to hear again this advantage that God gave Israel. And they're saying, yeah, but we can handle it ourselves. How many people have said in their own circumstances, in their own trials, in their own difficulties, I can handle this and find out that you really can't. And all of a sudden, alcohol or drug abuse or some other adversity comes into a family's life and they can't handle it. And how many times have we seen this with children who say, well, I don't really have to be compliant. You know, you have the compliant child and the non-compliant child. And the, the non-compliant one says, I can do it myself. And that's exactly what Israel was saying in this chapter that we're going to look at. And there's a word for the non-compliant, and it's called insolence. And so we're going to look at that this morning, what it is to be insolent or non-compliant. 
And then the, the flip side, the good side, is what it is to be compliant and faith-filled as we respond to Him. So, as we read the scripture this morning, you'll hear the word Ariel, Ariel. And that is a term of endearment for Jerusalem. And it is a term of like saying, my dear child, or my dear son. But in this case, Ariel means the lioness of God. And it was the idea of the protector. So the lioness is the image and the protector. And so God is saying to his people, I am your protector. So this one, Isaiah 29, Woe to you, Ariel, Ariel, or Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city where David settled. Add year to year and let your cycle of festivals go on. Yet I will besiege Ariel, Jerusalem. She will mourn and lament. She will be like me, an altar. I will encamp against you on all sides. I will encircle you with towers and set up my siege works against you. Brought low, you will speak from the ground. Your speech will mumble out of the dust. Your voice will come ghost-like from the earth. Out of the dust, your speech will whisper. Verse 15. Woe to you who go to great lengths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, Who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed shall say to the one who formed it, You did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, You know nothing? So a very challenging verse, a very challenging chapter, a very challenging insight because it really parallels a lot of the dynamics that are going on in our culture today. If you look closely, you'll see that there was deadlock and there was gridlock. Sounds like our day. People were defensive and opinionated. Power groups were pulling the nation in opposite directions. The preacher in Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. So when we begin to see things repeat themselves in history, this is where we need to have a clear biblical perspective. This becomes our sanity point. This becomes our balancing point that we don't despair, that we don't become pulled one way or the other way because of all the dynamics that are going on. So the big issue of Isaiah's day was a discussion about the direction of the nation. And we can bring that down. There could be a big issue today in your life about direction. There could be a big issue in your family today about direction. There could be a big issue in the life of Christ and His church about direction. And they didn't know what to do. They had a clear perspective, but they did not act on it. And so, this is where we are today. There's a big discussion. Which way do we go? And so, if you think of the setting of the text, it's about the 8th century B.C. Isaiah has been prophesying now for 40 years. In his lifetime, he's seen the nation divide. He's seen the northern kingdom fall to the powers of Assyria. And now, the southern kingdom is teetering. 
And Isaiah is trying to speak a word of direction into their lives. And yet they were clueless. They were clueless as a nation that they were on life support. Their current king would be their last king. In a few years, Assyria would devastate the southern kingdom, and they too would go into exile. There are two ways that we can handle crisis. Some say, as I said at the beginning, I can handle this. I'm okay. Don't worry about me. I'll do just fine. And others say, God can handle this. And they begin to seek God's plan for their lives in the middle of a crisis. In the setting of our text, the politicians of that day said, we can handle Assyria. Our plan is to make an alliance with Egypt and everything will be fine. Well, if you know anything about Israel, Egypt was not their friend. Egypt was the one who had enslaved them. Egypt was the one that God used Moses to deliver them into the promised land. And now that they've been in the promised land for 700 years, they're thinking, well, we can always go back to Egypt. And it never works. Egypt never works. It never works going back. And so the underlying flaw of this plan was insolence. Insolence isn't something we talk about every day. Insolence is a condition when pride and self-will are in full bloom. And maybe as parents, if you've had children, you've seen that insolence come to the surface. Full bloom, those tantrums, those kind of outbursts that go on. And that is exactly what was taking place in the southern kingdom, in Israel, in Isaiah's day. When the child says to his dad or mom, I can do whatever I want, and you can't stop me, you know that at that moment, insolence is in full bloom. The nation Isaiah was speaking to was saying to God, you have no control over me. We can do whatever we want. And this is always the issue of the day. Who's in control? Who has power over our life? Who has authority over our life? And for those in the faith, we say, God has authority. God has power. God has control over my life. Whatever the circumstances may be, God is. So insolence is when evil is called good. And this is how insolence starts. One member of the family asserts himself or herself over another member of the family. Or politicians grab for power. And soon there is rancor and yelling as though drunks were talking one to another. So let's talk about insolence. Where does it come from? Verses 1 and 2. Insolence comes from carelessness. Israel was called to be God's special people. And we, as Christians, are called to be God's special people. Amen? Amen. That's true. We are special. We are privileged. We are unique. And they were provided with a land of milk and honey. They were given a covenant so they could be called God's people. And that's what we are. We are called God's people. 
And that's a privilege to be called God's people. Amen? It is a privilege to be called God's people. But little by little, carelessly, they drifted away from God and came to a point saying, I'm not certain there is a God. And I'm not certain that we need to live dependently upon Him. And they were saying, maybe we can lead, live independently from Him. David said later on, his foes accused David of calling evil good. So insolence starts really by being careless. But it also starts by saying, I really don't care. And indifference is really an acute form of rebellion. A good parent will not allow insolence to go unchallenged or even unpunished. Now, I'm old school, but when we first started out in the ministry, we had a smaller congregation, and um, my wife played the piano, and we had three small kids in the pews, and, uh, and so I would be in the pulpit, and they would be in the pews, and they would start acting up. And all that I had to do was to flash my sports coat, and in my sports coat there was a tail of a wooden spoon. And I would just go like this, and oh, like that. And the wooden spoon was a reminder that the hand is for affection, but the rod is for correction. And there was a little balsam wooden spoon. There wasn't a whole lot of power in it, other than disapproval. And after a while, all I have to do is click, and they knew that there was going to be a correction about the little insolence that was going on as the parent. But that's what we do as parents. That's what we do as believers. We take correction, we take direction, we take instruction. We correct our course about being careless with our words and with our actions. Not only does Isaiah give a warning he was very specific about what is going to happen. Verse 4, you will become low. That is, you will be abased and brought down. No longer will there be business as usual. The day of reckoning for independence from God is at hand. And that was the message the prophet was giving to his people. Verse 5 in the Hebrew text literally says that invaders will be as the wall of dust. That's what it says. I don't know if any of you have ever heard dust roaring. Now, I've heard my wife roaring about dust in the house, but I've never heard dust roaring itself. Prophets and parents can be colorful in their warnings. The roar of dust is the image of a fast and swift-moving thundering of hoofs crossing a desert area. So the roar of dust was the picture of an invading army coming into the southern kingdom. This verse also includes the image of chaff driven by a terrifying wind that appears suddenly out of nowhere. We experienced this this last week. I was up in Melrose watching our granddaughter doing a synchronized swimming and all of a sudden 
everybody's cell phones begin to go off, weather alert, and they, they uh, removed us from all the bleachers and we got to go down to the women's locker room <laughs> for safety purposes, all right? Because the winds were so violent and Isaiah prophesied that the winds would come and they would be like chaff driven by a terrifying wind that appears suddenly out of nowhere. Warnings only last for so long. And then judgment quickly follows. Verse 6, You will be visited with thunder and earthquake, storm winds and tempests, consuming flames of fire. Now Isaiah prophesied, saying in verse 7, The nations are coming against you. How come? Insolence. There was, there was indifference towards God. And how did the nation respond? How did these people respond? How are we responding? They responded with denial, saying, in fact, that can't happen here. In the same way, some of our nations are saying, God, you actually believe in God? We can do whatever we want because we have been and we are and we always will be a great nation. And it's interesting for this nation, for Israel, they're about at the 240 year mark. We as a nation are about at the 270 year mark. Denial has a way of dismissing warnings. You've heard about Bernie Madoff. He's in prison right now, in case you didn't know. He was that great investor. He's the one that had convinced all of his religious community, his Jewish community friends, to invest in him. And all the time he was running a Ponzi scheme into the billions of dollars. And people warned investors that it was a scheme, it was a fraud. And there's no way that they can continue to get 15 and 16% interest returns on their investments. And yet, they got accustomed to it. And they didn't adhere to the warnings. And people lost their retirements, they lost their homes, they lost their sanity. Some of the investors even committed suicide. They didn't listen to the warnings. Israel refused to listen to Isaiah. They were in dreamland. Verse 8 uses the analogy of someone dreaming about eating and then being surprised upon awakening that they're still hungry. I don't know if you ever had a dream like that. You're having the most fantastic meal of your life and you wake up in the morning and you're hungry. And that's the image. That they were in such a form of denial as though they were surprised. Why am I hungry? I just dreamed about this wonderful meal. But it wasn't reality. It wasn't anchored in truth. It wasn't from God. And God was saying, wake up. Stop living in fantasy and denial. Nations are coming against you because you have separated yourself from me. Thirdly, insolent leads to self-deception. Verses 9 through 16. There is buried truth in verse 9 that comes by paying attention to you and they. Be surprised and amazed is about you waiting and 
than being surprised about the results of the warnings against you. It goes on to say, it goes on to say bind yourself. They also are blind yourself. They also are blind. This is about turning a blind eye. They is a reference to the leaders of the nation, the leaders of God's people, the leaders of the spiritual community. The they were saying, I don't think that's really anything that we need to pay attention to. And those who are sensitive to the things of God pay attention to what God has to say in His Word. That's why I encourage you to read your Bibles daily. Every day, read your Bible. They say that the foreign leaders are, here are the ones who want to align Israel with Egypt and oppose Assyria. Isaiah likened the plan to people who are drunk with stupidity. Verse 10, their eyes are covered, they can't see. Verses 11 and 12, the under, their understanding is like people who cannot read or they don't even know how to open a book. And I've said to my kids, readers are leaders. All my kids, adult kids today, are readers. And they're all leaders in their chosen fields. And yet, the people of that day we're not readers. Today we are being saturated with all sorts of media, all sorts of input, all sorts of entertainment, all sorts of amusement. And if you look closely at the word amusement, muse means to think, and ah is the negator. It means not to think. And that was what was happening in Isaiah's day. He was surrounded by people who were not thinkers. Verse 11 and 12, their understanding is like people who cannot read. So self-deception is a choice we make as a form of denial. If you ever go to the Jordan Candy Company, you know where that is at? The Jordan Candy Company. Who's been to the Jordan Candy Company? Anybody? Oh, look at this. There's two sets of mirrors outside the Jordan Candy Company. One set is that make you look small and squatty, you know, and, you, and there's one set that makes you look tall and thin. Now, which one do you think people are taking pictures in front of? Yes, the tall one. It was a form of, I'm going to go into a candy company, and I'm going to be nice and thin when I come out. And that's what self-denial is all about. It's kind of like choosing to look at what we want to see instead of what really is there. So we end up lying to ourselves. The result for Israel was a form of religion, but they didn't know God. Verse 13, the Lord said, The people approach me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Verse 16 pulls the whole chapter together. Isaiah in disbelief says, How do you turn things upside down. Wow. Wow. It is as though Chloe says to the potter, you did not make me. And then the clay says, and by the way, you 
being of no understanding. Can you imagine the insolence in such a statement? The very one who made us. And then the one who made us, we say to that one, you didn't make us. In fact, you don't know anything. It's hard to imagine. One of the um, great joys of parenting is helping our kids find the right college. They went to three different states to go to three different colleges. I remember driving our son to Texas, to Longview, Texas, to the home of Letourneau University, where R.G. Letourneau, a great Christian man, founded this college. And he would start every testimony, I'm just a man, a mechanic, blessed of God. And it was R.G. Letourneau who discovered how to make the zero-turn wheel. He discovered how to make the mountable wheel bridges. He discovered how to make the offshore drilling platform. He discovered, and today, uh, Letourneau University has the largest private air force in the nation. And we got to Longview, Texas, and we didn't know where the campus was, so we stopped at a, a quick trip. And uh, there was a fellow in there, and Titus asked, do you know where Longview uh, Letourneau University is? And this guy with a Texan drawl with missing teeth and kind of other stuff, he said, well, you mean you don't know where that is? And Titus says, no. He said, well, then that makes me smarter than you, doesn't it? And Titus said, for now. <laughs> and he did graduate from Paterno. And he does have a great position with a great company in the South. But he said, you know, for now. For now. You know? He had an idea that God was leading him and God wanted to bless him and wanted God to provide a great education for him. And that all happened in that great Christian college. So for now, if we lean in, for now, if we listen, God has great things because he's privileged us as his people. For now, for now. So finally, influence ends for those who listen. Verses 17 through 24. God has a good future for people who honor and love him. Amen? Let me say that again. God has a good future for those who love him and honor him. Amen? The promise of the resurrection is that we will live forever. That is a great privilege that God has given us. Yes, the days of the northern kingdom were numbered. All of our days are numbered. But this isn't the end of the story. There is buried within verse 9 a truth that comes by seeing the distinction between you and they. Be stunned and amazed. It's about you waiting and then being surprised about the results and the warning given to you. So in this verse, and in the end, how God blesses us. He blesses us as we wait and as we heed to Him. In the final verses of this chapter, 
God tells those who would listen, I have a bright future for you. The good news concerning influence and living a life of disregard is that it doesn't have to be that way. Verse 17, things can change quickly. In a short time, Lebanon can quickly become a fertile garden and a beautiful forest. It gets better. With God in your life, there are miracles. Verse 18, the deaf will hear words from a book and out of darkness and misery, eyes of the blind will see. Doesn't that sound like what Jesus did when he came and he preached that the kingdom of God has come, the blind see and the deaf hear for those who would but listen. Jesus said to the deaf man, and I love this word, hephatha, and it was the Aramaic word, of be open. And that's all that God asks of us this morning. Be open. I'm listening. I'm available. I am laying my life down for you. Would you lay your life down for others? To another, Jesus spat on the ground and then put the spittle in the dirt in the man's eye who had been blind from birth and for the first time in his life, he could see. That's amazing. That's what Isaiah said would happen. When I served the church in Indiana, there was an uh, obituary for a missionary who served in Papua New Guinea. And this missionary had served with Wycliffe Bible Translators for 30 years. And she told the story, and she often wondered, why would the gospel have this story about Jesus spitting making mud and touching people. Why would that be in the story? It seems a little unsanitary. But she told the story when she came across translating that portion of scripture that she got all the witch doctors together from that community and she read her translation of that story. And they were amazed. And they all went back and had a conference. Because in their culture, spitting was taking control over demons. And they said Jesus had to be the number one spitter because he healed people whose eyes were blind. And those witch doctors all became believers and led that whole community to Christ. So there's no accidents about what God puts in his word. It is there. And we are privileged if we'll lean in and receive the good news that he has for our lives. Verse 19, and I'm almost done. The afflicted, the humble of the Lord, will increase their rejoicing. And the needy, the marginalized, will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. History tells us that wherever this gospel is preached, whatever culture it goes to, whatever people receive it, there are three things that dramatically happen in their lives. First of all, there is a moral change in that culture. The gospel transforms us and gives us a morality and an ethic that respects and honors other people. The second thing that happens in that culture, there is an upward lift in education. All of a sudden, there's a motivation to be literate and to be able to read the Bible and to know the Bible. And then the third thing that happens in every culture throughout the history of the church, 
that has received the gospel, there has been an upward lift economically in people's lives. It's called the blessings of God. Yeah. There is an advantage of being a privileged people of hearing what God has to say. The afflicted of the Lord will increase the rejoicing and the needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Verse 21. Because of the good news, accusations and finger pointing and the laying of traps and snares of injustice stop. All kinds of people are trapped by all kinds of sordid situations. The Pharisees tried to trap Jesus in his own words, but they couldn't stop him. Praise God. Nothing stops God's word from going forward if we'll be but faithful. Finally, verses 22 to 24. God's message about Israel's future was a promise of deliverance and a life of no shame. The future Isaiah saw is now here. He saw a future with Messiah who has come, the Redeemer of Israel who has come, the one who transforms us has come, the one who forgives us has come. And Isaiah, as a prophet, saw that. Peter on the day of Pentecost said, Men of Israel, Acts 2.22, and I'll close with this, Men of Israel, Listen to these words, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But this is the good news. But God raised him up again. Amen? Putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Whether it is a nation, a family, a person, God's salvation makes things right. Amen? It makes things right. The promise is not only for you, but also your children and your children's children. Peter also said on the day of Pentecost, and likewise, all the prophets, this includes Isaiah, all the prophets, this is Acts 3.24, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward, also announce these days, it is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made to your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's you. Amen? That's us. That's all of us. And so we have the advantage of being a privileged people. And my encouragement is, don't let insolence get in the way. Don't let the self-sufficiency get in the way. Don't let the indifference to the things of God, the word of God, the voice of God, the people of God, the work of God, and the kingdom of God go sideways in your life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for me like Isaiah. And even though maybe his nation didn't listen, I pray, God, that you would find in us 
are listening people, are leaning in people, are compliant people. And Father, you are finding us faithful people, a privileged people of knowing you, following you, serving you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minnetristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.